Hi, this is the American Psychological Association's Division 15 podcast series on emerging research in educational psychology. My name is Jeff Green. Thanks for joining us. Now, obviously, teachers are essential to education, and they greatly affect how teaching and learning happen in schools. But for a long time, educational psychologists focus much more on students than teachers. Drs. Fanny Lauerman and Ruth Butler are changing that. Today, I'm talking to Fanny and Ruth about their 2021 special issue of Educational Psychologist entitled, Do Teachers' Emotions, Motivations, and Self-Regulation Matter for Students' Educational Outcomes? Now, you might guess that the answer to that question is yes, and it is, but it's also more complicated than that. To begin, Dr. Fanny Lauerman is currently a professor of empirical educational research at TU Dortmund University, where she has been at the Center for Research on Education and School Development since 2019. She earned her PhD in educational psychology from the Combined Program in Education and Psychology at the University of Michigan in 2013, and she was an assistant professor of psychology at the University of Bonn prior to moving to Dortmund as a full professor in 2019. Until recently, Dr. Lauerman served as an elected senior coordinator for the Motivation and Emotions Special Interest Group of the European Association for Research on Learning and Instruction, also known as EARLY. She was an associate editor for EARLY's flagship journal, Learning and Instruction, And broadly speaking, her research focuses on what motivates and enables teachers to provide high-quality instruction in their classroom and what motivates and enables students to benefit from their teacher's instruction. She also studies the motivational and social underpinnings of students' educational and occupational choices. Dr. Ruth Butler is an educational and developmental psychologist who is interested mainly in motivation. After earning a PhD from the Hebrew University and doing postdoctoral research at the University of California, Berkeley, she joined the faculty of the School of Education at Hebrew University. She is currently Professor Emerita, retired from teaching but not from research. She has been a visiting scholar at numerous institutions, including the universities of Stanford, Columbia, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Sydney, and Augsburg, and the Max Planck Institute of Human Development and Educational Research. Dr. Butler has served as Dean of the School of Education and Chair of the Center for Research on Teaching and Teacher Education at Hebrew University, as Associate Editor of the journal Motivation and Emotion, and as a consultant to research foundations in Israel and the United States, as well as the Israel Ministry of Education. In 2020, she received the Lifetime Achievement Award from the Motivation and Emotion Special Interest Group of the European Association for Research on Learning and Instruction. Outside of the ivory tower, she has developed educational interventions and training programs in the areas of educational assessment and student and teacher motivation, and has been active since her student days in peace, social justice, and feminist movements and initiatives. So Ruth and Fanny, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for inviting us. Thank you for inviting us, Jeff. It's a pleasure to be here. So this special issue on teachers' emotions and motivation and self-regulation, it's, it's just fantastic. And I'm curious what made you want to lead a special issue on these topics. So Fanny, why this special issue? <laughs> Oof, there's so many reasons that are flooding my mind right now. You already mentioned one of them, which is that Ruth and I observed a discrepancy in the literature in educational psychology where we noticed that there is just much more research and many more publications focusing on students' psychology or students' psychological characteristics, Mm -hmm. meaning students' academic motivations, emotions, self-regulation. But when we look at similar research focusing on teachers' emotions, motivations, and self-regulation, we notice that there is just far less research looking at teachers. And I can even quantify that. In our special issue, we counted the number of publications that looked either at students and their psychological characteristics or teachers and their psychological characteristics. And we 
realize that about 60% of the publications listed in Psyching for Eric look only at students and talk only about students. Mm -hmm. About 25% look at teachers and students and only about 15, 13 to 15% focus on teachers. Wow. And we wondered, well, why is that? And this is one of the reasons you already mentioned. But I do want to mention the more important one, which is the substantive reason. You know, just because there is a gap in the literature, it doesn't mean that it's an important question to study, right? Mm -hmm. But we believe that it is an important question because teachers' emotions, motivations, and self-regulation related to teaching do shape their decision-making in the classroom. They do shape their well-being and ultimately, they likely shape student outcomes and students' well-being in the classroom as well. Mm -hmm. So these are the main reasons I wanted to mention. So that makes perfect sense. And, you know, teachers play such a critical role. And I'm so pleased that your special issue is highlighting that role and its relationship to students and educational outcomes. So, Ruth, the answer to the question in your title is probably a complex one. But help us understand, do teachers' emotions, motivations, and self-regulation matter for students' educational outcomes, and kind of how or in what ways? I'll begin by saying that it seems obvious that they would matter. Mm -hmm. But to elaborate on something that Fanny said before, I, like many educational psychologists, for years I was interested in student motivation. Mm -hmm. And to the extent that I was interested in teachers, it was on the assumption that, you know, they're important because they influence students. Mm -hmm. And I think like many others, I thought that the main contribution of educational psychology was to write information that could hopefully make teachers understand students better, mm -hmm. teach better, have better student outcomes. Mm -hmm. And it took me forever to start asking about, well, teachers are people as well. And uh, they bring to the classroom not just their knowledge and their pedagogical experience or lack of, but their personalities, their psychology, their motivations, emotions, and self-regulation strategies. Mm -hmm. So the assumption is, yes, of course, it matters. And what I was finding in my research, what Fanny was finding in her research, is that when we started out, we were basically looking at within-teacher links. You know, do teacher motivations, emotions, and self-regulation, do they link up coherently with their own engagement, their decisions, their instructional approaches? And they do. Mm -hmm. The problem came when we started asking, and I think this is the discrepancy that Fanny was talking about, when we started asking, well, in that case, then they'll influence students as well. Mm -hmm. And here we have two things to say, I think, and then I'll let Fanny elaborate. First of all, there's still surprisingly little research even after educational psychologists discovered the psychology of teachers, there are relatively still very few studies. Fanny, do you agree here? Comparatively, yes, I do. That actually look both at teachers and at students. Mm -hmm. And very often the assumption was, well, if we've shown that teachers with particular motivational orientations tend to 
endorse or report particular instructional strategies, and that's the way they behave in the classroom. That's the way students perceive them behaving, so they're influencing students. And what we find is that it's far more complicated. So mm-hmm. actually, I would even go as far as to say that on the one hand, I really believe that yes, the answer is yes to your question that you asked too many minutes ago. But mm-hmm. the empirical support for that is sparse and mixed. Annie, do you want to jump in here? Yeah, so one of the key objectives of the special issue is to essentially ask the question, why is it so difficult to find robust, reliable associations between teachers' psychological characteristics, namely their emotions about teaching, like enjoyment, enthusiasm, motivations, mm-hmm. uh, competence, beliefs about teaching, or self-regulation and student outcomes. So why is this such a challenge? What are the possible mm-hmm. reasons? And I can name a few that we noticed while working on this special issue. One of them is the fact that, first of all, is a field mainly when we study teachers, we used to focus on the teacher's perspectives alone. And very few studies have looked at multiple perspectives, for example, how do teachers and students perceive the classroom and how are those um, shared or maybe discordant perceptions related to students' motivations and emotions and self-regulation. And this is one Mm -hmm. question we systematically analyzed. And our findings across these different fields and not just our findings in the introduction that we wrote for the special issue, but also in the individual papers that are featured in this special issue are that the perspective matters hugely for the findings we observe. Mm-hmm. And studies that document positive results, such as, let's say, student teacher self-regulation influencing the instructional quality, which then influences student outcomes, they oftentimes exclusively look at the teacher's perspective and they corroborate theoretically driven hypothesis. But when researchers try to link the teacher's motivational beliefs, teacher's enjoyment of teaching, enthusiasm for teaching, self-regulation to student-reported classroom processes and student outcomes, then the evidence becomes much more mixed and there are Mm -hmm. many zero results, so essentially no association. Mm -hmm. Does this mean that teachers do not affect students is an important question. And I do not believe that it does because much of the evidence we reviewed essentially has used data that um, is cross-sectional, correlational. Mm. Much of the evidence is something like, let's say, we correlate teachers' self-efficacy with their students' achievement or with student-reported motivations and find a zero correlation or a non-significant or small correlation. It essentially means that it's not the case that teachers who are highly efficacious generally teach students who have high achievement. But that's all we learn from these data. We cannot conclude that highly efficacious teachers invest more or less effort in the classroom, persist more or less for longer periods of time, experiment more or less with the instruction, and then their students may or may not benefit from these actions. This is not what we can learn from this evidence, and this is the majority of evidence we have available. So we need to do better in this regard. Mm-hmm. Now, I think that there is intriguing, converging support, I would go as far as to say, for one particular strand, positive associations that seem relatively robust, albeit not very large very often, run from what Marika Kunta once called loving teaching. Mm -hmm. And I would add caring about students. Mm Positive emotions, which are very often kind of operationalized in terms of teacher enthusiasm, 
which usually means the teachers agree that they enjoy teaching this class, they like teaching the class, they're, they're positive about the class and the students. Teachers who, all uh, chiefly are shown, teachers who are interested in or oriented to students' development, my own work, teachers who strongly agree that their main goals are to connect with and create caring relationships with students. These seem to be fairly consistently associated with students' reports of positive classroom behaviours, with social support for students, even cognitively stimulating instruction. And via that route, also in several studies with the student engagement. So I don't know, Fanny, if you if you agree, but I think that is one direction that's suggesting that teaching is inherently a social, interpersonal, and other-oriented endeavor. And teachers who engage with this kind of caring aspect of their profession, this seems to be something that students pick up on and a bit like in the you know literature on parenting Mm -hmm. this might be a kind of necessary not sufficient condition for teachers to to impact their students Fanny what do you say (laughs) we've talked about this point on several occasions so I'm not totally unprepared to to think about it Um, it is an important point I think you're trying to qualify my previous statement that there is some heterogeneity in these findings that's related to the types of outcomes we're looking at and that social emotional aspects of learning uh, what's happening in the classroom of teachers interactions with students that teachers and students are both involved in creating the social aspect of teaching and students are particularly sensitive to this aspect of teaching that both teachers find teaching more rewarding and motivating and students are finding the instruction what's happening in the classroom more rewarding and motivating when the relationships between teachers and students are positive, constructive, collaborative. So yes, I guess I'm just agreeing with you. And there is heterogeneity, important heterogeneity in these results that's related to content. And yes, students are very sensitive to social aspects of teaching, and teachers are as well. Well, and, you know, what you've both described makes a lot of sense to me in that, you know, Ruth, as you said, teachers are people too. And people have tendencies or dispositions, you know, someone else might be able to express care better than me. And over time, students might pick up on that. That might affect how students experience me as a teacher versus someone else. But then also from day to day, there are days where I am, you know, feeling more positive or less positive or more efficacious and less efficacious. And those day to day fluctuations in me as a teacher, day to day fluctuations in my students and day to day fluctuations or even minute to minute fluctuations in the context can all affect how the classroom feels and how students experience it and what kind of outcomes we get. And it strikes me that your special issue has really highlighted that there's been wonderful work. A lot of that work maybe hasn't taken into account context and dynamic interactions and time, maybe as much as it could, or maybe as we should in the future. Do you feel like there are particular kinds of measurements or particular kinds of research designs that would be really helpful as we continue exploring teachers and students and dynamic interaction with one another? 
Well, thank you for raising this point. This is an issue. So this within teacher variability across contexts and time is an issue that was raised by several authors uh, in the special mm -hmm. issues. It wasn't just something that we mentioned in the introduction to the special issue. So it's an important point. Yes, when we look at the evidence we have available on teachers' emotions, motivations, and self-regulation, then much of this evidence has focused on constructs and beliefs that tend to be relatively general, that tend to be relatively stable over time. Mm -hmm. And there is really exciting research now and a growing area of research looking at within teacher variability across contexts, for example, looking at different classes taught by the same teacher and then comparing what's happening in the classroom in terms of teaching quality, in terms of teachers' beliefs about students. Here's one interesting fact. We mm. recently looked at the literature on teacher self-efficacy, which is by far the most frequently studied motivational belief. Mm -hmm. And we noticed that there are just a few studies that have looked at teachers' beliefs or self-efficacy beliefs about different classrooms. There is a study published in 1992 by Raudenbusch and colleagues. There is a study by Ross and, and others. And what these studies show consistently is that teachers' beliefs do vary as a function of the classroom, as a function of the students they teach, as a function of individual students they teach, and the characteristics mm -hmm. of these students. So we have to pay more attention to these differences, to this variability within teachers. Mm -hmm. And there is, as I already mentioned, growing research in this area. Researchers have started to adapt their survey instruments, their questionnaires to address teachers' beliefs about individual students and not only about teaching in general. There are also some methodological advancements trying to use statistical techniques that extract shared perceptions of what's happening in the classroom, sort of perceptions mm -hmm. that a teacher and the, and the students share about the quality of their relationship, about instructional quality, what's really happening in the classroom versus unique perspectives that are only there from the perspective of students versus teachers. So mm -hmm. yes, there is really exciting work uh, happening in this area. Mm -hmm. So I think that one of the temptations for many uh, educational psychologists has uh, been to try and bypass teachers as far as possible, mm. including in our particular areas of, of efficacy and motivation and so on, really developing interventions or programs that focus on the student, motivational orientations, growth mindsets, value affirmation, and so on and so forth, which is, you know, all very important. But I think I think that we really have to start as educational psychologists engaging with teachers and students, as you said, as a basic dynamic of any classroom. That's just a really important point to drive home. And the special issue does that really well. You can't separate in some ways the dynamic interactions that happen between student and teacher and context. And I think it was William Blake who said, when we dissect, we kill right? And so we have to take those things in consideration of one another. So that's a really important point. So Ruth, when you think about the kinds of dynamic interactions coupled with the teacher characteristics that you mentioned, like, you know, really loving teaching and caring about it and that kind of thing, is there a particular work or particular ideas about teachers that we need to change? I mean, I think about the literature on kind of like teacher characteristics and, you know, what makes a good teacher. I mean, do you have a sense that we need to think about teachers and what they bring to the classroom differently based upon current innovations in the research? That's an interesting question. I have to admit that my first response is not exactly what you asked. Okay. 
I think that we really have to think, I think, a bit differently and more seriously about the conditions of teaching. Mm, okay. In a sense, we've been, you know, very attuned to that from the student's perspective, you know, how much the context of the class, of the school, of the broader kind of cultural milieu impact how they learn and why they learn. And I think teaching is becoming more and more of a possible profession and especially a profession in which it's becoming more and more difficult to create relationships with students and to really love teaching. So I think that's something that, in a sense, educational psychologists have already started thinking about teacher psychology, then that's an important direction to go in. And methodologically, I think, I mean, people always say this, but I think it's really critical that alongside more rigorous and mainly longitudinal and large sample studies, we really need to find a way to do real multi-method studies. Mm -hmm. I'm very sympathetic to situative approaches to Mm -hmm. motivation, to student psychology, to interactions in the classroom. But it's proven extremely difficult, and I certainly don't have the answer, to try and connect classroom observations and repeated quantitative self-report or teacher report or observer reports. Mm -hmm. Daddy, take over. (laughs) I actually wanted to add just one related point, which is, It's not just that we need different methods. We talk in a special issue about multi-source and multi-informant data, which is absolutely important. But even more important than that is using methods that really closely match our theorizing about why and how and when teachers might have an effect on what's happening in the classroom and what's happening with their students, in addition to all other factors that influence what's happening in the classroom and what's happening with their students. And this is one area that I believe is important to pay attention to. I'll give a very simple example that Mm -hmm. is a little bit removed from what you really asked, but I think it fits here to Mm -hmm. illustrate my point. If we assume that, let's say, teacher self-efficacy influences teachers' effort investment, then that's what we should study. We should look at teachers' effort investment. If we assume that that effort investment then influences how they behave in the classroom, the decisions they make over time and how they adjust their behaviors to various challenges, then this is what we should study. We need to adapt our methodology to better reflect the conceptual questions and the processes we presume are unfolding in the classroom. So it's not just, it is also the fact that we need more various sources of data, but it's also that these sources of data need to match and help us understand and test our hypothesis, our, our theories better. And sometimes we just skip over the mechanisms through which teachers' beliefs influence what's happening in the classroom and just focus and measure the outcomes. But we need to measure the processes as well. Mm-hmm. Instructional quality, interactions in the classroom. I have an example, if we have time later on, that I can give for that as well. Uh, we're currently mm-hmm. collecting this type of data where we're trying to merge different sources of information and define teaching as a dynamic task, not mm-hmm. as an outcome, mm-hmm. but as a task that changes over time. Well, it fits so well with what Ruth was saying about kind of a situated contextual perspective upon teaching and the conditions and this dynamic interaction between 
of teachers and students and conditions and other factors of the context. And Fanny, it sounds like the work that you're doing connects really well with your article in the special issue where you talked about teachers' confidence beliefs and how they affected their instructional intentions and then the classroom processes and then Mm -hmm. students' perceptions of those processes and then finally outcomes. I mean, there's this long chain of events that's not solely linear that Mm. all kind of combine and interact to lead to outcomes. And if I'm hearing you correctly, it sounds like you're advocating for methods that match that kind of sophistication in theory. And it seems like that's a really promising direction for future research. Yes, that's, (laughs) this is the message I, I was trying to convey. So thank you for summarizing the main points. So the example I wanted to give is an ongoing project that I feel really excited about. It's a project that has many partners. It's not a project that we're doing alone in Dortmund. It's a study under the leadership of the German Institute for Adult Education in Bonn. Mm-hmm. We are conducting a video analysis where we have videos of teachers' instruction. We are collecting data from surveys where teachers share their thoughts about individual students, their perceptions of individual students, their beliefs about the entire class and group of students. We have knowledge tests where we assess teachers' knowledge about instruction in general or about teaching their particular subject area. And we're collecting data in linguistically diverse classrooms. So there is heterogeneity that teachers have to deal with on a daily basis, but also within a particular lesson, they need to attend to various student needs that that change as a function of what they say, how they phrase their learning goals, how they try to accomplish their learning goals, and so on. And finally, we also use colleagues in, in the University of Tübingen are collaborating in this project as well, and they're conducting computer-assisted psycholinguistic analysis where we analyze the spoken language in the classroom. And one of the main questions I'm really curious about is how do teachers adapt their behaviors as a function of student characteristics, as a function of what students do mm-hmm. um, and mm-hmm. say in the classroom. We don't have the data yet. We have data from over 40 classrooms now. The data collections were delayed for reasons that (laughs) are all too familiar, uh, namely the Mm -hmm. pandemic, but we're almost there. And this is just one example of how we are trying to address and follow our own advice, how we are trying to focus on the dynamic process of teaching, Mm -hmm. uh, on resource allocation decisions, on interactions with different students within the same classroom, and adaptive teaching behaviors. It's such a nice example of how, what I really hope for as a co-editor of Educational Psychologist, you know, that journal really aims to advance theory. And then we want that theory to inform new, better, elaborated research designs. So it sounds like the kind of work you're doing really speaks to the kind of dynamism and complexities that are outlined so well in the special issue. And I feel like we should, we should probably let the listeners know about some of the other articles in the special issue because they're so rich and there's so many great topics. Can you give us just a brief idea of the other articles in the special issue and their main foci? Sure. I'm very happy to. So one of the best parts of working on this special issue is really reading the work that our colleagues submitted and the wonderful papers that are featured in the special issue. So Anna Franzo and her colleagues worked on the topic of teacher emotions through the lens of appraisal theory. And she was very sweet. She sent us an email after she submitted the final version of her paper saying that she was grateful for the opportunity 
to think about how teachers' emotions in general, not just enjoyment and enthusiasm, which are frequently studied, but also frustration, mm -hmm. anger, anxiety, and so mm -hmm. on, might impact students, not just the other way around. And so this is what she did. She tried to provide a framework for what are our theoretical conceptual assumptions as to how and why and when teachers' emotions matter for their students' emotions, but also well-being in the classroom and, and their learning. And she proposes there, of course, reciprocal links, all authors do, mm -hmm. uh, for obvious reasons, I suspect. The second paper is a paper that I co-authored with my graduate student, Inga Ten Hagen. We focused on teachers' competence beliefs, and we used this general term, which allowed us to focus on various types of beliefs about teaching competence, such as self-efficacy, self-concept of teaching ability, expectancy of success, and so on. And in the first part of the paper, we're trying to just sort out what types of beliefs have been studied at all, what are our thoughts about how and why these types of beliefs influence teaching and teachers' behaviors in the classroom. And as a consequence of that, maybe also students. So we tried to provide an overview of the proposed conceptual links to identify blind spots, what are the types of constructs we have not studied but should have, and what are the types of findings we have available uh, to inform our theories. The third paper uh, was written by Lisa Bardak and Rob Klassen and focused on teachers' motivations and motivational beliefs such as a goal orientations. And I'll let Ruth describe this paper in greater detail just because she's one of the pioneers of this field and it feels more appropriate for her to summarize this work. But it's, I'll just cite one piece that describes, I think, the entire issue. So Lisa and Rob ask, where does the signal get lost? So mm -hmm. if we conceive of teachers' behaviors and beliefs as something that can send a signal to students and influence students, then where does the signal get lost when we do not observe the expected effects on students? So this is kind of a descriptive statement for the entire special issue. Mm -hmm. And the final paper was written by Rahul Kramarski and colleagues, and they looked at teacher self-regulation and from the perspective of theory-based, evidence-based professional development. So they didn't just ask, is teachers' self-regulation, ability to self-regulate their own teaching, but also their own learning and also their student self-regulation? Does this matter for students' academic success? She also asked, let's assume it does because we have good reasons to believe so. How would we teach teachers about self-regulation? What is a meaningful theory-based, evidence-based model of professional mm -hmm. development? So this was mm -hmm. a great paper to read and think about. And we have two excellent commentaries. One is by Reinhard Peckron and the other one is by Michelle Gill, both of whom were trying to identify the connections, the intersections between research on teachers' emotions, motivations, and self-regulation and challenge our assumptions and outline directions for future research. Mm -hmm. Reinhardt, for example, talks about the conceptual overlap between motivation, self-regulation, and teaching emotions and urges us. So he makes many points. I'm actually a bit anxious to kind of nail down just one thing. But so let me just give one example. He just argues that teachers' psychological criticism is indispensable for successful teaching, even if teachers have the skills and knowledge to do a good job. Mm -hmm. They're not motivated. Mm -hmm. If not doing well, uh, they're not likely to do so. And Michelle conducted a really insightful analysis of all papers, pointing out that we are all using a quantitative paradigm to develop our thinking and theories, and we shouldn't forget the qualitative paradigm in that mm -hmm. process.
that was just a short statement about their wonderful commentaries. I was really struggling to find a good description, a good summary, because obviously they made many points that are relevant for the special issue. You really just have an all-star cast of authors and, and commenters. So it's just wonderful to hear about the special issue. And of course, I've read it and just think it's incredibly generative. So so thank you to both of you for all of your hard work on it. And I, I know that you originally had Stuart Karabenik with you. And do you want to talk a little bit about Stuart and how he helped conceptualize this special issue and continues to influence it? Ooh. <laughs> yes. Stuart was a special human being. He was my mentor. He was my doctoral advisor at the University of Michigan. And initially, Ruth and I had started thinking about this special issue. Stuart wasn't yet involved in the special issue, but then Ruth and I mm. uh, jointly decided that Stuart would just be the perfect person to be a guest editor for this special issue because of his unique ability to build bridges between different fields of research, his creativity, his, his openness to new ideas. And unfortunately, after the proposal for the special issue was accepted, Stuart unexpectedly passed away. The One of the last emails he sent me was, when are we meeting to talk about the special issue? And then I was on vacation with my family and I said, well, maybe in a week, Stuart. And then he said, carry on, just take a break. You know, everybody can, can move on without us for now. And we had to. Uh, just two mm -hmm. days later, he unexpectedly passed away. But we kept thinking about his advice, his research, his encouragement, his mentorship while working on this special issue. And I very much hope that it's in the spirit of what he would have liked to, to have worked on as well. I'm quite confident it is. And, you know, he just, he has a tremendous legacy and he will continue to influence the field for many years to come. Let's wrap it up there for today. I really encourage our listeners to check out your 2021 special issue of Educational Psychologist entitled, Do Teachers' Emotions, Motivations, and Self-Regulation Matter for Students' Educational Outcomes? The whole issue is great, and each of the articles makes a really nice contribution to the literature. So Ruth and Fanny, thanks so much for your leadership of the special issue, and thanks so much for talking to me about it today. Thank you. Thank you, Jeff.